Hello, everybody. This is Susie from ICPO, the Irish Coalition for People Living with Obesity. Welcome to our special podcast episode for World Obesity Day 2023. Today, we are here talking about how words matter for people living with obesity. Joining myself is Catherine, Maura and Linda, who are going to give their thoughts on how words have mattered in their own experiences. This is a short poem that we read, and it actually resonates very deeply with us on about how words can matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. Stones and sticks break only skin, while words are ghosts that haunt me. Slant and curved, the word swords fall. It pierces and sticks inside me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me. Catherine, we're going to come to you first. Catherine, is there a time when words were used with you at maybe a consultation that made you feel uncomfortable or how have words mattered for you? Well, words have always mattered for me since I probably I've been living with a in a, a overweight body since my teens, since I hit puberty. Um, I've um, always been fairly active, um, but due to illness with my knees, and uh, my mobility has got worse, and um, I now have <laughs> a lot more weight to deal with. I'm I actually I'm living with obesity now and stigma is very bad with words for me. Um for example, I had a gynecological appointment um to have a polyp removed and um I was nervous as it was going to the appointment and because I struggled with my mobility, it was an effort to get there. When I walked into the room I knew immediately when he looked at me that the gynecologist just seen my weight. And he told me, embarrassingly, my problem was because of my weight. He made me feel really, really bad, so ashamed. Um, it made me feel worthless. He never looked at the results of my ultrasound um, that I had the day before. And when I queried this, he said he didn't even know I had the ultrasound done. Um, he just did a blood test and said he'd follow up. And of course, that evening we had an ICPO meeting and online. And I told the group what happened to me. And how upset I was. And with ICPO's help, I wrote a letter to tell them how he made me feel in a very respectful way, I wrote it. And I told them that I was thinking of not going again for to return from my appointment. Um, but he, I told him that how his words mattered and affected me. And he wrote back and apologised and said, he, sorry for the way he made me feel. He hadn't meant to. And he was glad I was coming back for treatment. So, Maura, we're delighted we have you here with us today. Um, we've heard there from Catherine about an experience that she had, and I believe that you may have similar, but can you share with us about why words matter when it comes in particular with the healthcare appointment? I can indeed. Uh, I've been, like Catherine, I've been living with my weight from puberty. I'm now 67 and I'm managing my weight. I had bariatric surgery in 2012 and I'm also on weekly medication. And yes, words do matter to me. I recently went for a breast check appointment and I did explain that I tear underneath my breast very easily and uh, the nurse that was attending me was trying to get me to stand in the correct position. I was doing my best but I was pushed right up against the, the, the panel and then even though I thought she wasn't paying attention when I said listen I really do tear very easily but then she, with a gloved hand she lifted my breast onto the plate and I tore very deeply. So I jumped back from the machine because I was it stung very badly and I was in pain. I just said to her, look, I can't go through with this now. I said to her, I just have to stop. And, and, and I showed her 
the part where I was torn. And she even was surprised. And her next comment floored me. She said, well, if you could try to lose a bit of weight. Now, this nurse had no idea that I already had lost 10 stone through bariatric surgery. But like that, we're never good at standing up for ourselves either. I was stomached for a couple of seconds. I couldn't answer her. And then she tried to tell me to use different soaps and all the rest of it underneath. You know, and, and before that, before that happened, while she was trying to get me to stand in position, she said to me, now, I'll get very cross with you if you can't stand correctly. But I was shoved right up against the machine, which is probably, it's an awful machine anyway. So I left there, I left that unit with my tail between my legs because I could not go forward with the with the examination. I got into my car and I had to sit there for a while because I knew I couldn't drive straight away. I was between angry and upset. So eventually when I got home, I rang Susie. Of course, we had a chat through it. So thankfully you talked to me about it and I became a lot easier with it. Hi, Linda. It's great to have you with us. And um, we've been chatting here away and you've heard some experiences from Catherine and Maura about in healthcare. Um, have you got an experience that you felt that words um, really sort of invoked some strong feelings? I do, yes. Um, well, I had been living with obesity or have been living with obesity for most of my adult life. And um, I had lost a significant amount of weight and was dealing with the excess skin that that entailed and was dealing with the physical pain as well as the emotional distress that it caused. And I was referred to um, a hospital for skin removal surgery by my doctor and as a result of this, I was accepted for skin removal. And after years of been on a waiting list, um, they sent me to a private clinic for skin removal surgery. And it was well, while I was there when I met the consultant that I felt that things just didn't go very well with the surgeon because I just thought that they were um very dismissive of me and just used words to me that I didn't really like and um I tried to ask questions and I can't remember the exact words that the surgeon used but I felt very embarrassed by most of what she said um because she referred to um me having this treatment done for free and that I should be very grateful that I was having any kind of treatment, that there was people out there with cancer that were having to pay for these surgeries and that I should be grateful. Um, so it just left me feeling very deflated and kind of ashamed and hurt. Um, and bearing in mind that all the time that the conversation was going on with her, that I was standing with no clothes on while she fiddled about with my skin that um it just left me feeling I don't know ashamed I suppose and embarrassed and I just felt like I just wanted to stand up there and then and just leave the room as I felt it was going nowhere but I knew that as a public patient I hadn't a whole lot of choice that if I wanted the operations 
that um, the resources and options to me were very limited. And as a public patient, I just felt stuck that I need, but I, that I, when I wanted to be able to move on with my life, and be able to do normal things again. So I felt I just had to shut up and put up, really. Thanks, Linda. I think, Linda, I can remember the words uh, that were very personal because you, again, shared them with us. And this is the importance of our support groups is that when people hear words that are upsetting, they have a place to go to to share and discuss and I suppose just work it out how how they're feeling. Um, Because I remember you telling us that she had said to you, uh, why are you getting this done? Could you not um, just cover up? And uh, what are you going to be expecting to be wearing a bikini? And I think the last one was she actually asked you, were you doing this for a partner that you had, a husband or a partner? And that, I think, cut you to the core. It was like she knows nothing about your life, you know, and those words really can cut. Yes. She actually said to me, um, you don't look all that bad. She said, really, there's people a whole lot worse than you. She said, um, you could cover yourself up with um, clothes. And I said, well, it's all very well covering myself up with clothes. But like I've been covering myself up most of my life. I prefer not to have to continue to do that. And she said, oh, for goodness sake, she said, there's people a whole lot worse than you. She said, I have women come in here that have had babies that are worse than you. And I just, I don't know, I just felt, um, I just felt that she really wasn't taking me seriously and that she had absolutely no understanding of where I had been or where I was coming from, that she was totally disrespectful and the language that she used to me, I just, I felt, um, to be honest, I felt hurt by it. I just felt I already was coming from a place with very low self-esteem about how I looked. And I just felt that it was, I don't really know how to say it, but I just felt kind of a bit traumatised by it all. Um, With the results that since having my surgery, I did go back because I knew that I had to go back if I wanted the surgery and I really did want the surgery. But since having the surgery, I have never been back. I have never been reviewed post-operatively because she is not somebody that I wanted to have to ever speak to again. Thanks, Linda. So listening to the healthcare experiences directly, we have there from Catherine, Linda and Maura, there's different outcomes to each of them in that Catherine wrote a letter and she got a very positive um, response from her consultant to say he was very sorry that his words had hurt her and she did go back, thankfully. And for Linda, she did go back, but unfortunately does not really want much um, contact with her provider because you know those words were just so damaging. Maura, you're you you did follow up to address stigma, but you have a different thoughts about going back. I do, yeah. I definitely don't want to go back because, like as Linda said, you don't have your clothes on you during this consultation, and it's embarrassing enough without the nurse not listening to what you're saying. So I thought it would happen to me again, and I did not want to feel that. Those emotions when I was when I went back to my car after I left the breast clinic and I felt angry, 
and it was nearly on tears. And it's not easy to take tears out of me, I can tell you. But there were tears of anger. And I felt humiliated. And as you say in, this, in the poem, I was mortified. And then you, you have to get dressed again and leave and all the rest of it. And it's like a pity party. And there's one thing as people living with obesity, we do not want your pity. We do, definitely don't want that. Within two weeks after that appointment, I got another appointment. So I phoned up and said, no, I have not healed yet. It took me four weeks to heal. And recently I got another appointment and I rang them and I said, I'm not going back again. And she said, you're due two more appointments until you're 70. I said, no. So I got a letter the other day and I filled it in. And I said, please take me off your list because I just couldn't go back again. However, I feel it was just too distressing. Now, I hope others are not faced with the same dilemma, but I'm sure they are. The difference, I guess, when you have a healthcare appointment about words is if you're asked to talk about your weight or your GP may or a healthcare provider may just say, oh, well, your back is sore and that must be your weight if you could lose weight. And many patients report this back to say that, you know, their weight is blamed quite often. And when you hear those words, you kind of can put a wall up, a defensive wall. Um, quite often we're asked, did you not know or why have you not tried? And instead, words could be, did you know, have you tried or can I remind you or can I say this again to you today and we could talk it through? And having that permission to talk about your weight makes the difference with the words that are used when you're in in an appointment. I think words for me that used to get me quite angry was things like non-compliant or non-adherent. And for when you live with obesity, it's not so black and white. And if a patient hasn't returned for a healthcare appointment, maybe look into why. Maybe physically they couldn't get outside the door that day. And it's not that they're not compliant or not, not having the willpower. These words are very negative to hear. Um, and there often is more to the story. So, Catherine, self-stigma is probably one of the most harmful and unrecognized forms of stigma. And for words that matter, we how we speak to ourselves is really important can you share a bit about that for us? Words we use towards ourselves matter. Like in, a, in our peer support meetings, someone can say, I was bad today. Um, and we always follow up by asking them uh, what caused them to think this? Like was it a family row? Was it work stress? Children, etc. Um, and then we discuss with them, like how could we react differently? Uh, and we now hear people correct themselves I, I was really bad yesterday. Uh, and then I say, no, no, I wasn't bad yesterday. I had a bad day, actually. Like Self-internal stigma can cause a lot of damage. And we remind each other to think how we're, we talk to one to our best friends, and to use those words back to ourselves. We help people to stop putting the moral judgment on themselves and reaffirm that we are not bad people. Expectations are difficult to manage, and we see this a lot. It is a regular occurrence for us to read in the groups, I only lost one pound this week, or I only did 3,000 steps. Hearing words regularly, regularly about normal BMI or minimum of 10,000 steps a day to be healthy only leads to many people feeling a failure if they cannot reach these levels set out. We try to focus on what we can do and not what we can't do. I remember when I was losing weight, my family members regularly asked me what weight was I. And it, it began to annoy me that that they would ask these questions. It also annoys me when pe members of the public will say to you, well, what, what weight are you? Can you not lose a bit of weight? Words matter. You know, what right do they think they have to ask me these questions? Maura, I love that reflection there about people saying they only lost one pound and they only did so many steps. And 
I think I remember the story of somebody saying that, you know, they started out by walking simply around the perimeter of their house or down to the back garden and back. And to them, that was all they could manage. But because they were reading that other people were doing 10,000 steps or even 20,000 steps post weight loss, it can feel discouraging when they're reading that. And those words matter to them. But we really do work hard, don't we, on, on helping people to see what they can do. We do. I would have been one of those people who thought I can't get past the three or four thousand steps. And here are people doing 11,000, 20,000 steps a day. What's wrong with me? But like that, uh, we're very lucky in our support group in that every evening we do. Uh, we have a Francis comes on, does a step counter with us. And it's not there's no shame in what, what, what uh, steps you do, no matter what you do. It's terrific. It's the fact that you're even like our, our physio told us, if you can't feel you can walk today, open the back door and look out the back door. And that has made such a difference to a lot of people who would be housebound for years. Like there are people who are living in very larger bodies who will not go out at all due, due to words that have been used on them with stigmatization. So they won't they will order their food in. They won't go out. They will. They were trying to encourage them to go out into their back garden, at least. And just opening the door is a huge significance. And I think, you know, that is that's a big difference. To taking the small steps, not looking at the bigger picture, which can be so hard when we read it all the time, particularly when we see in, in you know, sort of guides of saying, you know, 10,000 steps was drummed into my head. And I always felt a failure if I didn't get near it. But also that one about you've only lost one pound. But if you hadn't have lost that one pound this week and had put up one pound, you're actually two pounds heavier. So that's the, we, we tune in on those words that people use in the support groups. And like Catherine had said about people saying like, I'm bad. No, you're not a bad person. You've just had a bad day. And if we can stop directing those words towards ourselves, it makes all the difference. Thanks, Maura. We don't ask people about details of other health conditions, but because weight is so visible, people feel very licensed to speak about it, as Maura mentioned. But really, I suppose our focus is on quality of life and health, not even directly weight. And when someone comments on having lost a lot of weight in the groups, we try and actually avoid congratulating them on their achievement because success is not about the number on the scale. Instead, we try and use responses like you look so much happier now or you must feel great or well done on your hard work, because really it is hard work living with obesity every single day. But trying to avoid words like success, because other people are reading these posts when they see that if they're not at that point in their journey, then they feel a failure because that's the opposite to success. So we try and change our wording slightly just to around that it's not an achievement. It's that it's an outcome from either the treatment or the work you're putting in. We often see debates about what words people prefer to use. Some people prefer the word fat, some people prefer the word obesity. But really, I think when we look at the core of it, it's how, when and where the words are used and really the tone that can come with them. But regards where once there was a, a, a GAA match last year. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, there was a GAA match last year where um, there was a young boy as a goalkeeper and the crowd were chanting, you fat bastard, ha, 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 to him. And um, we had somebody from our group that was on the sidelines that was very upset about this. And he brought the subject up with us and we decided to write as a group to the GA asking for them to address this matter. And um, 
the damage and stigma that it had on people and asked about their bullying legislation. Um, one of their responses was that this young lad had a thick skin and it didn't bother him. And we just wondered how they could possibly know that this wouldn't bother him. Um, and what about the people that were standing on the sidelines, other children that were listening to this? What kind of a signal was it sending out to them about, one, about people with obesity and two, about any other stigmatizing thing that they may feel they have that would stop them from going forward to play sport. Um, the GA are constantly saying, and as a matter of fact, as you go into their pitches, you will see their slogan is give respect to get respect. And I just found that this was just, you know, totally unacceptable that they could allow children um, in their care, essentially, at that time to be treated like this, that nobody thought it was fitting to stop that match immediately and remove the people from the area to stop them from chanting like this at this boy. So, Catherine, just for a final reflection, what does people first language mean for you about how we use our words? We are more than our weight. Like the concept of people first language for me is about understanding that a person living in a bigger body is no less intelligent or funny or capable as anyone else. That while we live with a chronic disease and all the barriers that brings mentally and physically, like we need to address stigmatizing words when we see them and remind people of this. Like our, our words used in doing this, though, are just as important. Struggling, fighting, battling are all words that feel negative to me and give a sense of losing a war that is too big to win. And we are trying to change the narrative to words like living with, coping with or dealing with our health conditions. And doing it this way and using words differently shows our disease doesn't define us. In saying that too, we are lucky to have come across many healthcare professionals who do use appropriate words. Those who are on the ASOI committee and the HSE national program committees and the weight management services, we know that all of these professionals are totally committed to using people first language. We see the positive effect this has on patients from how they write or how they speak in our support groups. Hearing the words, it's not your fault, and having it explained how obesity is a disease, it takes an immense pressure and guilt away from the person. And then you can properly focus on your treatment. Maura, with Words Matter, something came to light with you when you were minding your grandson there last year and you were reading some books with him. He loves to read. What was it that you noticed about words in children's books? I was shocked, to be honest with you. Um, I was reading the Mr. Men books and Mr. Greedy was one of the books. And Mr. Greedy you should read it. It's it's very damning altogether. Mr. Greedy was sent to the doctor and the doctor was also eating out of a drawer and he was offering him sweets and cakes and everything. But anyway, Mr. Greedy was sent to Mr. Thin to find out how to lose weight. But it was the final sentence in that that really annoyed me was, now, if you see somebody that's overweight like that, you know, you know what to tell them what to do. I couldn't believe that I had read that. I really couldn't, that this was for children. And your grandson is five years old and he's being fed that narrative that young. 
And we really need to try and change that somehow. And you, it's even in, I suppose, the words that are used in childhood programs on television. Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, you have the, the well, I think it's stopped now, but you had the fat controller in Thomas the Tank Engine. And uh, and like that, he was three when he was watching that. And I remember him looking at me and saying, Nanny, you're fat. So I answered him back and I said, I am. I mean, what was I going to t- say to a three-year-old? And he accepted that. Children accept these things. But still, you're thinking it's it's put into his mind when he's when he went to school then, was he looking at other children in the class if they had weight on them and thought, that person, that child is fat. And where does it start with children? You know, at at, at 10 years of age, I was weighed in school. It was a medical examination. And uh, I weighed in at eight stone. Now, I didn't know what weight I was up to that. But uh, that we were doing weights and measures in the class. And it went around like wildfire. Oh, Maura Murphy weighs 100 weight. And for the next two years while I was in that school, the other kids would question me and say, are you any heavier? Have you put up any more weight? So, yeah, like it's, it's we have to watch with the words that we use. I mean, that healthcare professional, OK, was years ago. Maybe should not have said my weight out loud in front of the line of children that were behind me. Thanks, Maura. It reminds me of a story when I went into my friend's house and she was four children and a very hectic life and she was trying to get one of her lads to finish his dinner and she was saying if you could just finish the carrots now and I'll get you some nice ice cream afterwards and as somebody who myself has a food disorder I was shocked and I went that's kind of compounding that the vegetables are the horrible thing you've got to suffer with but that you'll have the nice ice cream and I said would it be an idea to swap the words and say you know if you finish what's on your plate we'll go to the park afterwards that the the reward isn't about food and those words we use food as a, you know, as as that reward. And I think we've learned that from quite young. And I suppose unless we change that for children, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I see that, too, on the television where there's an, an ad there where the child comes in looking for a snack and the mother stops to think how many snacks he had that day. So words are getting out on on social media and on television, which are making people think maybe not. Maybe we should just do a different thing as a treat, which is good. That's good. One area where we have seen how words have changed, thankfully, is through the media. And we have been doing media interviews, whether on the radio or in in print media. And quite often it has been challenging that somebody else could come on and say, Asher, you just need to eat less and move more. And we would be left in a position trying to raise the science based facts and the evidence that obesity is a chronic relapsing disease. But since World Obesity Day last year in 2022, we noticed a huge shift in the narrative. And we are seeing more and more journalists and media spokespeople using better language about what is people first. Why is people first language important? This isn't about being politically correct. We wouldn't say somebody is psoriasis. We say they have psoriasis. So we have obesity, but it doesn't define us. Or we have overweight. It's something when Maura mentioned about fat, her her, um, grandson mentioning your fat granny. Maura has some fat on her body or excess skin, or whatever words you want to use that it doesn't define you, it, it isn't who you are. But we're seeing a huge shift in the media and, and how they're portraying and talking the same narrative that we are hoping that more and more people will use. I'm not assuming that we know how words matter. We assume when people like don't sit beside us on a public transport, that they're repulsed is why they won't sit beside us. But my niece was here the weekend and she told me she wouldn't sit beside a person living with obesity on a seat, but not because of if they repulsed her. She respectfully would like to give them more room rather than them to feel squashed in the seat. 
Um, and I just thought that was lovely. Um, so, like, just always more than, than one way of looking at a stigmatising situation. But when it comes to words, there's no mistake in that how they're received when they are stigmatising. Linda, hearing both um, Maura and Catherine's stories, it might seem like these are random instances. And we do know that quite often words used are not intentional by people, but it doesn't matter really because in the end, the outcome and the hurt is the same. In our support groups, um, do you see this coming up on a regular basis? Um, yeah, we see it coming up all the time. I mean, people are constantly being um, spoken to with words that are um, hurtful, dismissive, uh, shameful. I was just wanted to say that so many people that are living with obesity feel very uncomfortable about speaking up for themselves. Um, a lot of them just want to really fade into the background. They don't want to have to face doctors and go through, um, you know, everything concerned with their obesity. But and then when doctors turn around and speak to them in such a negative way with very little empathy or compassion for them, it does leave them feeling very, I don't know, hurt or the trust between them and the doctor is gone. And once that trust is gone, it's very, very hard to put it back in place again. It is, Linda, and very hard to then trust a new healthcare provider who may be very positive in their experiences. But luckily, we do have many stories that people will relay that were very positive. But unfortunately, it's the negative ones that you remember quicker. And that's yeah. why we need to stop it. One of the most impactful volunteer work we do is with the stigma education sessions alongside ASOI for healthcare students, explaining how important words are when taking when talking with patients and sharing our lived experiences is the only way that medical students will understand how important it is to treat each and every patient as an individual and that words really matter. They, they have to find out what everybody's story is, what, what happened to them to be at this stage of their lives. Feedback has shown that our sessions are making a powerful impression in changing the narrative. Dr. Jean O'Connell from ASOI has given up so much of her time to join us in delivering these sessions. And we are very proud of the difference we are making. About the stigma education sessions, we are so excited about them and we're having great feedback because we are changing the thoughts about weight bias and stigma with healthcare students. And what started with just a small committee of six people now has 20 in it from different healthcare professionals. The multidisciplinary team is all representative and people living with obesity. But the feedback from the students is that we are opening their eyes about what weight bias and stigma is and how words matter and how they, they need to see their patients as individuals. And I think we're really hopeful about the future that this is changing and hopefully the next generation won't have as many of the experiences that we've had with weight bias and stigma. Thank you for tuning in with us today. We would like to thank ECPO, the European Coalition for People with Obesity, for facilitating this podcast for us and to our sponsors. We hope you'll share this forward with anybody who may benefit from hearing it and understanding more about how words matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me.